so I would drink to kind of relax and to have fun at night. And my then boyfriend, fiance would go out and I'd stay home and I'd drink. And the more and more I did this, the more and more stress that piled on. As we know, alcohol increases cortisol, creates anxiety in your body. So when I feel anxious, I drink. And the more anxiety I had, the more I drank. Today I have with me sober coach Jen Hurst, who's going to share her story about alcohol, how it nearly ruined her life, and how it led her to eventually help people all around the world reassess their relationship with alcohol and move towards the joys of a sober life. If you have not yet subscribed to this show, what are you waiting for? Hit the little plus button in the app because you seriously don't want to miss out on the life-transforming episodes coming your way. Very excited to announce and welcome Jen Hurst. How are you doing? Great. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been so excited about this conversation because I think it's so timely right now with um, our discussion about sobriety, alcohol, the effects it has on your mind and body as more and more people are beginning to question their drinking habits. Uh, So can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you've ended up here talking to me on the Mindset Change podcast? Yes, absolutely. Uh, My name is Jen Hurst, and I am a sober coach and mom of two who lives in Upper Minnesota. And I am 10 years sober. And I realized after coming out of the sober closet four years into my sobriety that people were interested in my story and how I did it. I had no intention of this being my life, of this being my purpose. And From that moment forward, I've just been on this self-improvement path, continuing to find ways to feel better in sobriety and also to improve my own mindset and health in all areas. After putting this poison in my body for so many years, I view the things that I do, the foods that I eat, the habits that I stay consistent with as just really paying my body some respect for years and years of abuse. So now I coach women on how to boost their confidence in sobriety by implementing these simple habits from the get-go with real-life scenarios that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. So my story, I really like to share my story by saying that it can happen to anybody and that no one is off limits. I just did a reel a couple days ago of images from my engagement, images from my wedding, where you see a woman smiling that she's happy, she's having fun, she looks great. But deep inside, I was either buzzed, I was drunk, I was on Adderall, and I was coping to deal with social anxiety, coping to deal with pain, coping to deal with fear, all of these things, and really coping to deal with overwhelm. And it just became a habit. And so I think the stereotype of what a typical alcoholic that image that we have of that really prevented me from getting help for so many years because I didn't fit that image. I got good grades. I had a great family who rarely drank. I I did well in school. I did well in my job. I'm an Enneagram three, so I'm a classic overachiever. And so I thought, well, all of these things, I still have all of these things. So it really took me some time to begin to question, okay, is this a problem? And then ultimately to seek help for it. And so I took those classic quizzes of, am I an alcoholic? Um, Convincing myself that I'm not. And so uh, our motto, especially growing up, was to look good on the outside. It came from a perfectionist family where looks were very important. Achievements are very important. So that's why, again, I didn't share about my sobriety even four years into it. Because I, I was so fearful of what people would think about me, that that would tarnish my image in some way, that people would think less of me, of all of the achievements that I've made would be tarnished by this label that I had to put on myself, that I couldn't, in fact, manage an addictive drug. And little did I know that it was a drug until four years into my sobriety. I had no idea what I was doing because of the conditioning that happened throughout my life convincing me that I needed alcohol to unwind, I needed alcohol to relax. And so once I became 
using that as a coping mechanism for so many years, I felt like I really needed it to even function and feel normal. And so I, my drinking didn't really start. I didn't really become addicted from the beginning. I had my first drink at 15. I thought it was disgusting. I did quote unquote normal drinking in college where, um, you know, you would go to party, have a few too much to drink, but it wasn't until at the age of 21, when my second boyfriend wanted to go on a break, that it really planted the seed that I could use alcohol to take away any feeling and any pain, any emotion I didn't want to feel away. And so the guys that I was living with at the time were abusing Adderall, which is a stimulant. It makes you feel like God. And that's what they told me. They said, here, if you just take this, you're going to feel like God and you won't even think about him anymore. So from that moment forward, and of course it did, it's, I felt amazing. I dyed my hair. I stayed up all night. I'm like, this is the best decision ever. But then I thought, okay, well, I never have to feel pain again. I can just drink if I, if things, if I get uncomfortable, I can drink if I get nervous. And so that slow, more and more, I used that tool to cope with any anxiety that I had the more and more I became dependent on that. And so it wasn't really until the year leading up to my wedding in 2010 that things really started to progress. Um, And I even going through my alcohol history, from the moment I started to question if I had a problem to when I got sober in 2013, it was about a 10-year progression. So it was a while. And oftentimes it goes unnoticed until you're so dependent on it that you don't know how to stop. And I was using it just to feel normal. But at that time in 2010, I was working full time. Like I said, I'm a classic Enneagram three. I'm a perfectionist. I was doing my uh, wedding all by myself. And I was actually doing freelance for a magazine uh, full time as well. And so I had all of this, these things to do and I didn't know how to cope. I never went out. And so I would drink to kind of relax and to have fun at night. And my then boyfriend, fiance would go out and I'd stay home and I drink. And the more and more I did this, the more and more stress that piled on. As we know, alcohol increases cortisol, creates anxiety in your body. So when I feel anxious, I drink. And the more anxiety I had, the more I drank Mm -hmm. until, and that's why I like to show images of my wedding day, because you see someone smiling But deep down inside, I was really crumbling. I was was struggling with debilitating anxiety. I was taking Adderall to get things done. I was then coming down and drinking vodka to get through the day, to just get, that's what I told myself. If I can just get through the day and put a smile on my face and put makeup and hide the bags under my eyes, I'll be fine. And I, I won't be an alcoholic. And it was pretty much a couple days after where I, I physically collapsed. And I, I want to say I was very good at hiding it throughout these years leading up to this point. And so when I couldn't hide it anymore, I had to go back to work a couple days later. And I was so exhausted from the wedding, from working, that I just stopped. And I just drank around the clock and I laid in bed. And so my husband... I mean, talk about a curveball after we got married. He was like, what the hell is happening? What's going on? And so it really kind of came out that I was indeed struggling with this for many years, but I was really good at hiding it. So no one knew what I was going through. And I was going through this by myself. And so began the year and a half journey of actively seeking sobriety, of questioning, okay, do I have a problem going into my first AA meeting? Where do I go? It was really nervous. I went drunk, all of these things. I then entered my first inpatient stay for 30 days at Hazelden. I drank the day after. Uh, And in and out of these process of going to outpatient, going back into inpatient until ultimately on those days leading up to my sobriety date, I was kicked out of my house. I was also in this year and a half span finding other ways to use alcohol because they didn't want alcohol in the house. So then I started dabbling into mouthwash because that has alcohol in it. And I, that became actually my drink of choice 
for the last year, I would just drink mouthwash. And even dabbling one time into rubbing alcohol because cravings can be so intense that you would do anything to fix it, to get out of it. It is so uncomfortable. And so I was reaching for anything that I could find to take that feeling away, to take the shaking hands away. And I literally felt the months leading up to my sober date that I was dying. I started to lose my job because that was the one thing that prevented me also for getting sober was because I didn't, I still have my job. And so what I like to tell people is you haven't lost your job yet. I thought all of those things were off limits for me and still they, until they started to happen. I was kicked out of my house. I lost my car due to my second DWI. I lost my job and I really felt my heart failing. I was starting to take Adderall to feel better. And then I would drink at night to mm. deal with the anxiety. And so that was putting tremendous pressure on my heart. And it was that day leading up to it. And I completely blacked out at my father's office and I went into detox. I blew a 0.34 and that number scared me, but it, for the fact that, okay, it was 0.34, I've heard higher. But it was the fact that I've been doing that for the past couple of years. Like how often did I cheat death and how far did I take it? Because I know there were other times that I pushed it way farther than that. Can you explain what a 3.4 And so it was yeah, 0.34 blood yeah, alcohol well, level. Yeah, blood alcohol level. And how did you find that out? Yeah. Um, they took my breath at detox okay. or actually when I went to the hospital First, I went into the hospital hoping I could find a bed, but all of those beds were full for detox at the hospital, which just shows how much of a, how common it is for this, yeah. to struggle with this. And so I was sent to another detox facility where they then took my blood alcohol level again. But when I entered the hospital, it was a 0.34, which again is scary. But the fact that I've been doing that for the past two years, at least, scared me. And it was at that point, again, where I physically felt myself dying. And right before I went in, a few days before, again, I, like I said, I was taking Adderall. I was drinking. And I, my hands started to go numb. And I thought, oh, my God. I, I really thought I was going to have a heart attack. And I started researching cardiac arrest on my kids, on my childhood bedroom, in my childhood bed because my husband didn't want me in the house. He had set that boundary. And so I started to drink milk. It said, drink milk. And I didn't tell my parents because I didn't want them to freak out. And I also didn't want them to know I was drinking behind their backs. And so that scared me. And then it was in detox where I made a decision. And I just said, I'm done. And that's wow. what it is. And yeah. it, I know it's so freaking, <laughs> it's so easy to say. But it was just a click. And I just said, oh my God, I'm so freaking done with this. Just a quick break to say I am so excited to announce a brand new podcast channel to help you transform your life in ways you might not yet be able to imagine. 2023, we are kicking your ass. Now, this is a channel of experimental content I know you are going to love. Now, Mindset Change Another Level has exclusive deeper subconscious training meditations to help you upgrade your long overdue programs that are holding you back in life. You also get searchable meditations without ads, intros and outros, so you can find your favorites super easily. You get access to masterminds to help take your mindset change to another level, and you get to engage with me in a whole new way. And as a thank you for supporting the new channel, you get discounts from my group workshops too. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and come and join. Oh, and feel free to come and join my WhatsApp community too. I can't wait to welcome you. I have lost literally everything as someone, again, who came from a great childhood, got good grades, got a great job, won awards, all of this, to literally almost having nothing 
calling homeless shelters because my parents didn't know what to do with me. They're like, she went into three inpatients. Why isn't she cured? Why didn't this work? What's going to going to take for her? We can't have her drink inside her home. Cheating UAs, all of these things. And I just said, I stopped fighting it. I stopped fighting trying to control this. I stopped trying to moderate it. And I just surrendered. And I gave up what was going to happen. I wasn't talking to my husband. Yeah. My parents didn't know what to do with me. And I took responsibility for the mess I created. And I didn't expect anyone to believe me. I had said, I'm sorry. This is the time. I swear this time it's different for so long. How could they know that this was it? But deep down inside myself, I knew this was it. And once I made that decision, everything became so much easier. And yes, I had to do a day in jail. I had no license. I had no car. I literally, I had to be on probation. I, all of these things I had to clean up. I had to be on house arrest. I, again, all of these things, but it became so much easier because I wasn't trying to, f- all of the mental gymnastics that you go through with trying to moderate something that's not supposed to be moderated. Mm. Once I re- was able to release that and just knowing that, and I kept saying to myself, as long as you don't drink, you can't make this any worse. I just kept doing the next right thing. And I was, I got a simple job. I rode my bike to work. I went to my last inpatient stay. I did outpatient. I met with a therapist. I did jail time, four months pregnant. And wow. actually very quickly, my life began to improve. Look, I mean, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a license. I had whiskey plates, all of this stuff. But within three months, I was able to get a job back in my field as a graphic designer Within four months, we learned out we learned that I was pregnant with our first mm-hmm. child, which is something I always wanted and was something I couldn't have because of what I was doing to myself. And that just, God, it tore me apart inside. Is that I can't do this because I can't bring someone into the world when I can't even take care of myself. And so this was also one thing before I went into my last inpatient stay is my husband and I took a drive through this really nice neighborhood. We didn't talk. He didn't know what to say to me. And I just saw our life and that all of the crap that had happened in our first year of marriage. And I saw what could, what it could be like. And that image really gave me hope that it could be possible. And I knew deep inside that I was done and I didn't know what was going to happen in my life. But as long as I stayed sober, everything was going to be okay. And now I can say my life, I have that life. I saw two kids in that vision and I have two beautiful children today. I now coach women on how to stay sober, which is crazy. And our marriage is the strongest it's ever been because it's a built on honesty and trust. And that's what you really need in a marriage. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. And all of these things led me to where I am today. And I, and when I said, or I'll have you talk and then I can get into how I became a sober coach too. No, I honestly, I'm just in awe of just your journey. Uh, so many questions I could ask about, you know, what you've been through. Um, and I, you know, I was just in, you know, just felt the emotion when, as you were talking about, you know, what you've been through. Um, mm-hmm. Just going back I, I I love that that your brain just clicked, and I hear that so much. Was it that easy for you afterwards? Did you have any temptation to go back to drinking, or was it literally that final click, and then that was it for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I can honestly say I had no desire to drink mm, ever again. Okay. I never felt the need to white knuckle it anymore, but Mm. I know that's not the experience for many people. Many people live every 24 hours and then the click click happens later. And so it's, again, it's just this mental switch that happens and it had taken so much for me Mm. that I I was just literally done. And I can't say, I don't feel triggered, but I, I get memories when I see, like a bottle of vodka on the counter 
when I go places. Yeah. Things, seeing people drink beer doesn't trigger me. But when I see a bottle on a kitchen counter, because that's where I would sneak the drinks, I don't feel triggered, but I feel the need to grab it and drink it because that's what I always did. And that's what I remember. But mm. then I play the tape forward. My image directly goes to what I'm going to lose, my kids, and I go do something else because I know better. Yeah, but yeah, it's no. still it's ingrained in my memory that when I see that, that's what I always did. Yeah. But I, I have no desire. And the more research I do on it, the more that I coach women, the more stuff that comes out about it, it just gets me so upset, really, that it's also... I mean, so many other people are also struggling with this, mm. but it's not their fault that this no, happened. And, and do you, uh, <clears throat> you know, when women come to out for you for help, what's the biggest struggle that they have in regards to changing their mindset around uh, drinking alcohol? Yeah, I think the biggest question I get uh, is how to socialize. What are yeah. other people going to think yeah. of them? Yeah. And I, I really want to tell people, no one's thinking about you. And I really like to reframe our mindset as not thinking that this is, that you have to do this. Because mm. quite honestly, you can do anything you want. You get to do this. You have the opportunity to do this. Instead of thinking of what you're giving up, what are you gaining from this? Mm. Oh my gosh, I get to be able to be the tooth fairy for my kids and remember to do that. I get to wake up and not have a headache and regret over, oh my gosh, what did I do last night? How did I get home? I get to know exactly what I did. I get to wake up and move my body and not feel like I have to sweat out the alcohol or punish myself in some way. I can live my life and truly, truly experience it and have no regrets. Because if sobriety sucked, I wouldn't do it this long. It wouldn't be worth it. There's a yeah. reason I'm 10 years sober. It's given me so many things in life. And it's really not only giving me my life back, but also, gosh, it's so eye-opening what you get to uncover once you're sober, because now you really get down to the nitty gritty of what's going on in your life of maybe childhood trauma or reparenting yourself of things that keep with you from a childhood of kind of shaped you who you are today. And now you get the opportunity to rewrite that story and to really get to truly embrace who you are. And that's been the biggest gift that I've gotten. Do you think, I mean, that is a very powerful mindset shift, isn't it? People often do focus on FOMO, what they're going to miss out on. They're focusing on, mm -hmm. um, you know, how hard it's going to be. And, you know, they don't really focus on the gains, um, especially mentally, physically, spiritually, on so many different levels. What are, what are the mm -hmm. lies? What are the lies we tell ourselves about alcohol? that is going to help me relax. <laughs> that was one yeah. main thing yeah. that I used it for. I know for me, it's going to help me sleep. It's going to help me be more extroverted mm. that it's required to have fun, which is absolutely not true. It, life is so much more fun when you're not drinking. I mean, because when we think about it, you only really get, and even in advertising, you only really get the first 20 minutes or the first hour. You never see how people feel the next day of sleeping mm -hmm. in bed, of having a headache or being nauseous or high anxiety, all of those things. So we're only really sold the first 15 to 20 minutes. And um, I'm just trying to think of other lies that you need alcohol to parent. You need alcohol to be a better mother to manage your kids. And my gosh, that's completely untrue as well. Right. Um, but I think some of the main ones is, is how am I going to have fun? I'm going to be no fun without alcohol. And that's actually a week in my group coaching programs is how to have fun in sobriety. And that I really like to ask people, 
if something isn't fun without alcohol, it's probably just not fun. It's probably just not your thing. Because when you truly have fun, you do not need alcohol. And I think my kids are the greatest teachers in this. And even dogs. I mean, look at a dog. He's so, they're so freaking excited for you to get home or to go in the car, right? They need no alcohol. Your kids have so much fun running around with a stick. Or I remember my son being so freaking excited to see a construction truck coming down the street. And they have, and they're such wonderful teachers for me and such wonderful reminders to find the joy in the simple things in life and to do more things that you like and not what other people like, but what do I actually like? And so many people don't know what that is, but that's the beauty is that you get to discover that. And you also discover yourself in that process. Yeah, that's, it's, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. It's interesting, isn't it? A substance, which is actually a neurotoxin. It's a type one carcinogen. Mm-hmm. It's a depressant. Mm-hmm. It's something that we used to try to celebrate and have fun with, and yet it deadens our senses. And it's something mm-hmm. that the the marketing industry has made out brilliantly that this is what you need to do to have fun. And it's um, it's interesting, yeah. you know, because I'm eight months sober. I've known's probably heard that on my show before, but I'm eight months sober, and it is the congratulations. The I'm so, so proud of you. Thank you. And it was just my brain did the click on Boxing Day last year. <laughs> And I was having a glass of champagne and I just took a sip and just went, and in my brain clicked, why am I drinking this? I've been leading up to that in, in itself. I've been leading up to that moment, but it was the, the information all coming at me from all different sources on what alcohol really is and what it really does. And as a coach, mm-hmm. as a mindset coach, focusing on anxiety and depression with integrity and authenticity, there was no reason for me to carry on drinking at all. So I just stopped. Mm-hmm. And that was, and it's been one of the best things I've ever done. There's been some mindset challenges with it. And it was interesting about the, you mentioned about the fun side of things, because it's the one thing that people mm-hmm. say about, you know, it's like, don't you miss the fun? And, you know, do I miss the inebriation? Well, it's, I know that's a nice feeling at the time for a little bit, but I don't miss the gut ache. I don't miss, you know, feeling nauseous. I don't miss the lack of energy. I don't miss that glazed eye look, which yeah. actually now I can see in the people around me when they're, when they're drinking, suddenly their eyes just glaze over. They become a little bit dead inside. Sorry, friends, if you're listening to this. Um, but it's just there happening. Um, no judgment on that if they're doing what they want to do. Uh, but it's interesting, isn't it, that the home, the media has painted it out to be, this is how you celebrate life. This is how, you mm-hmm. know, this, this carcinogenic neurotoxin depressant, this is what we've got to get kids ready for when they're, you know, of, of an adult drinking age. Uh, here in the UK, they can yeah. drink in their teens with a meal. And then at 18, it's, you can just go to the pub and everyone celebrates you poisoning yourself. So yes. it's, it's, that, it's, that's really, I love that. We celebrate poisoning ourselves. Yeah, because we've been told and, to. And we laugh at it. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we've been told to. And we've then we, to. we we reminisce on those days of not remembering how we got home and how fun that was. And I'm like, was it really that fun if you can't remember it? Exactly. We yeah. have here in Brighton at the moment, we have um, freshers weeks uh, where the brightest minds are coming to the universities in my, you know, in my area. And they go out and literally they're encouraged to uh, dull down and destroy their minds with this toxic substance. And it's just crazy. But it's, it was interesting. It wasn't yeah. until last year that I woke up to that. I put my blinkers on before and had this cognitive dissonance to it as in, well, I know it's a bit bad for me, but hey, you know, we've got to die sometime, got to die something. Um, because I, I was just too interested in wanting to carry on doing this one thing that would keep me some in some form of social, you know, interaction. But yeah, no one's cared, yeah. by the way. No one has cared that I stopped drinking. 
Yeah, because everyone's just thinking about themselves. Yes. And here's the thing. Everyone is concerned what everyone thinks. And we're <laughs> all thinking that everyone is thinking about us and what we're doing. No one's thinking about you because we're all just focused on and worrying about what other people think. And if everyone's concerned about what other people think, no one's actually focused on you. They're focusing on themselves. And yeah. so if they do have any problems with you drinking, and this has taken me a while to understand is that it's just because it's shining a light on their own drinking and that they may have some conflict within themselves mm. of what they're doing and their own drinking habits, but it, it has absolutely nothing to do with you. Absolutely. And so you can just take it for what it is. And the only thing that matters is why you are not drinking and why mm. you are choosing this. And so I really like to ask my clients, why are you doing this? Mm. Why is it important to you? And when they ask that, and when they answer that, I'm like, okay, well, why is that important to you? And I keep asking mm -hmm. them until you get down to the really nitty gritty reason, why are you doing this? Because you got to keep remembering why you're doing this when life throws you a curveball. Mm. Maybe you your car breaks down, you get laid off from your job, things are going to happen. And so you got to be prepared to handle those situations. And I think that's what makes sobriety tricky. It says now we don't have our little coping mechanism to take the pain away temporarily. Again, you're still going to have the pain and probably much worse if you continue mm. to drink. But now you got to face things and you got to feel things. And that's what's uncomfortable in sobriety is feeling feelings that we've masked for so many years. And that's what I like to teach my clients of how to work through emotions and learn to sit with it, learn to breathe through it, learn to move your body through it. That's the things we really need to teach kids how to do. And I think that's one of the greatest benefits as being a mother, a sober mother who continues to work on improving my mindset and how I do life is that now I can instill those in my children, how to accept their feelings, how to allow them to cry. I don't tell them don't cry. I I instead hold them and try to comfort them and be understanding of what they're feeling that they don't know what to do with. So they can in turn use those coping mechanisms into their adulthood where they don't also turn to alcohol anytime life gets hard. Because all feelings need to be felt. All feelings are valid. No feeling lasts forever, but they're all equally important. And I always like to refer to this movie. Have you seen the movie Inside Out? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's a beautiful movie. Yes. Yeah. I love to have my clients watch that because it's such a great tool of what's going on inside this, the main character, Riley, of all of these different feelings. And everybody loves joy. Everyone wants joy. And she wants those core memories. And no one likes sadness because she brings people down. And there's fear and disgust and anger, all of those things. They all play a part in her life. And then you realize, I mean, spoiler alert, but sadness is just as important as joy. And it's important mm. to cry. It's important to feel those feelings. And it's okay to feel sad. And it's okay to feel uncomfortable. And maybe that's the one thing I hope you guys take away from this is it's okay to feel uncomfortable and you don't gotta, you don't have to escape it. You don't have to run away from it. And I also say to myself, something I say to myself all the time is I'm not going to die. You know, it kind of gets me off the ledge of, Oh my God, Oh my God, fight or flight. Mm. I'm not going to die. Let's just sit with it. Let's breathe. Let's do a big box breath. Yeah. Take a deep breath. And now let's start to figure out a solution because drinking doesn't get you anywhere. It only gives you more problems. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love what you're saying. I think that just hearing what your children experience and just getting to to have your feelings validated with that way is so, so beautiful. And yeah, drinking is a way of escaping feelings. So they're going to come at some point. They're going to come at some point. You can't drown them. Um, to the point where they don't exist they will rise to the surface they will come um, and I think that's what yeah. you know one of the, the you know the big myths about alcohol is that it is a relaxant uh, it, you know you get some brief GABA 
uh, neurotransmitters at the beginning. But after that, that agitation, and you can see it in drinkers, begins to creep in. You know, and that's that mm-hmm. in itself is uh, quite something to experience. What do you, what other, you know, like for women listening to this or, or, or guys, what are the main health issues that come with drinking alcohol? Because that's often, it's kind of like I believe, oh yeah, it's a bit bad for you. But when I started doing research, mm-hmm. I think Andrew Huberman, Dr. Andrew Huberman did a brilliant episode on alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see it? I did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That that was. I think that led to where I am today. Um, but what what do you know? What do you know of the, the the main health issues that can come from, especially for women or guys, um, with drinking alcohol on a regular basis? Yeah, I think. I mean, across the board, a rise in anxiety. Uh, now I even question, I was diagnosed with anxiety in 2008, but I was also mm. drinking heavily at that time. So now I even question, do I have anxiety? And, or was it just right. the alcohol? Mm. So an increase in anxiety overall, uh, changes in the brain. So one account I love to follow is Doc Amen, Dr. Yeah. Daniel Amen. He studies the brain. And it's so fascinating of how much alcohol shrinks your brain. And when you have lower blood flow to the brain, which alcohol causes, is also a risk for Alzheimer's disease. It's a major risk. But one way to improve that is through exercise, is through taking care of yourself and all of these other things. Mm. I think sleep deprivation is a huge one. Yep. Breast cancer, especially for women who drink more, the breast cancer risk increases dramatically. Liver disease. So we're also seeing a rise in liver disease and cirrhosis, especially in uh, younger women, younger and younger women, heart disease, all of those things. Um, And other things, I mean, high blood pressure and other, I think, uh, environment things, uh, fights, DWIs, all of those things are equally as dangerous. And I think that's what makes alcohol one of the most dangerous drugs on the planet is because it's not only health related, it's also mm. on the environment and things that it, uh, that we have n- sometimes no control over because alcohol really hijacks your prefrontal cortex and your control center in your brain. So you don't, you aren't really conscious of what you're doing and you're not really in control. So those are the things I wouldn't in my right mind think of drinking and driving my car, but I was often in a blackout. I didn't know what I was doing Mm. of um, suicide, of homicide, jail, all of these things can be, you know, uh, sexual abuse, abuse. All of those things are also related to alcohol as well. And I think one of the main things is the brain. And one of the things I really like to focus on because I, I love my brain. And I, mm. if I didn't have my brain, if I don't keep it healthy, that's not a good thing. It controls everything. And so doing those things to help increase the size, to help increase the blood flow is one of my main things to help protect my brain. Uh, so just a quick overview. Those are some of the things that mm. I think it really contributes to. But um, yeah along with lower immunity and uh, mood swings, all of those other things. But I think those are the main ones that stand yeah. out for me, especially. I'll tell you the one that really got to me was um, when Dr. Andrew Huberman talked about, you know, we have this, we have this beautiful gut, you know, microbiome, microbiome community that you know, does so much for us. You know, it's uh, this beautiful little, you know, I imagine it was like little villages and there, you know, all these cute little characters and then we're pouring over the, pouring over them with alcohol, the very substance that pretty much kills them off. And mm-hmm. you know, these are these are the little guys that make our short-term fatty acids. They make our serotonin. They make our dopamine. Um, you know, they make so much in regards to making sure that you know reducing inflammation. And there we are trying to kill them off because that's how mm-hmm. we think we should be celebrating life or how we should be dealing with stress, and yet. Um, it, they, they have the, one of the biggest impacts on our mental and physical health. And you yeah, know, when he, it destroys yeah. the gut microbiome. Yeah, it just is, it's absolutely brutal. Um, and it's still, I know I read mm-hmm. an article just before we, we, I came on to talk to you 
And it was still quite out of date with information of, but a little bit of red wine contains enough you know, polyphenols to be good for you. And it's like, <laughs> you'd have to drink. I can't remember what the, what the stat was on that. It was something like a, a bucket, a bucket or, or 12 liters of, of red wine to get any other benefits. But yet they still, I think articles still roll this out as in to say, but so you can carry on drinking a little bit. Do, what, what do you want? Yeah, well, myths? it's clickbait, yeah. right? Because yeah, yeah. so, they know it's going to get a lot of clicks and it also yeah. justifies your drinking. But yeah. if you see it, one glass of red wine helps your helps your heart. But And it's true in some ways, but it's also true that the negative effects far outweigh mm. any sort of positive yeah. effects from that red wine. And so once you take look at the bigger picture of it and that those studies are sponsored by the alcohol industry. They <laughs> they put those yeah. out. And so what I love about today is that there's also countering studies that are coming out now and coverage on the Today Show and all of these other platforms about the dangers of alcohol yeah. and how choosing to go alcohol-free is now a wellness choice. Because like you said, it does destroy the gut microbiome and your gut is your second brain. And so drinking the green juice, working out, do, eating a clean diet, and then rewarding yourself with alcohol is undoing all of this fantastic work that you're doing for your gut and your brain. Yeah, it's, yeah. You're just... It makes it all, it, it's just countering all of that work that you're putting in. And so what if we could just take a break for 30 days just mm. to see how you feel, just to see how your gut feels, how to see how your mental health feels, how to check in on your energy, mm. your sleep, all your mood levels, all of these things just to see how you can feel. And then you can decide, okay, is this something I want to continue or do I want to go back to it? But I think every single person deserves to take a break for 30 days yeah, just to see how you can feel. And I think you'd be amazed once you get to the end of 30 days. Now, life isn't going to be perfect, but there's so many benefits that can happen in just those 30 days that it, it makes it all worth it. I mean, less anxiety, more energy, better sleep, you're more confident, all of these things that can help, uh, I think, I think would be extremely beneficial. Yeah, the energy if you're is willing been, to do that. Yeah, the energy is insane. You know, it's there's no getting yeah. around it. And the amount of energy, the amount of time you get back, it's I'm not worried anymore about how am I going to fit on Sunday to either go out and do a workout or go to that, you know, to meet friends and, um, you know, see some of them nursing quite heavy hangovers. Um, and, and yeah, and, and, and that's where they are on things. But it's, it, I think for me, sobriety has given me life. It's the, the energy, mm -hmm. the focus, because I've, one of the things I wanted to, one of the reasons why I wanted to stop was not just for my, mental and physical health was because I was daring myself to achieve more than I've ever achieved with mindset change. And in that, in that time, the, my business has never been so successful. In yeah. the time since I've, so in that eight months, it's, it's gone completely crazy. Like the level of uh, success that, cause I've had the energy for it. I've had to focus for it. Whereas I'm not on a Monday or Tuesday box, still trying right? to recover from, yeah, to restore, trying to recover from something that I did on Saturday night, you know, which yes. just for a few hours actually wasn't worth it. wasn't worth it. Yeah. And what if weekends you were actually able to rest and recharge? Yeah. And so then you start on Monday with a clear head, full of energy and ready mm. to tackle the day. And John Mayer actually did a video and an interview recently as he's alcohol free as well. And he's, he's just saying everyone, when you drink alcohol, we're operating about on the 70% of what we're capable of because alcohol really limits you and what you're able to produce. Because again, you lose time, you lose energy, you lose focus, anxiety, all of those things. He said, what if I were able to operate at a hundred percent mental capacity? What could I do? And I, I really like to point that out, this out to my clients is, what if everyone, instead of operating at like 60 to 70%, again, with, with when you go alcohol-free, you're getting better sleep, you have less anxiety, you're more productive, you have more time, all of these things, you raise your level and you now operate 
at 100%. Just freaking imagine what you could do with your life, what you're capable of, and how you can change the world. It is literally incredible. And so I like to think of drinking as just limiting people in so many ways of staying stuck mm. in the mundane and just wasting this precious time that we have, that if we were to take a break and just give ourselves the opportunity to just see what we could produce in just this limited amount of time, like for 30 days, 60 days, eight months, I think you'd be completely blown away. And imagine if everyone mm. on the planet or again, operating at 100% mental capacity, we could literally change the world. And so, again, I love that the sober movement is catching speed mm. and it's becoming more normalized with not needing to have a problem with it, but looking at it as wanting to see what life could be like and uh, really asking yourself, you know, is it adding value to my life? How do I feel when I drink? Mm. How does alcohol makes me, make me feel? What's the goal that I'm is trying it- to achieve when I drink? Yeah, what does your body actually want here? You know, it's you talked earlier about the abuse you, you know you did to yourself, and I and I and I've been very abusive to my body. It's and the more we tune into our body and get a sense of what it really wants, yeah. You know, and, and with radical honesty, would it really say yes? I want this neurotoxic, um, carcinogenic <laughs> depressant, please. That would be lovely. Um, it's not going to, is it? And I think we it just been, and again, this body that is making, you know, doing its best to help us live this incredible, miraculous life. It struggles mm-hmm. to do that yeah. because there are industries out there who have no interest in my or your health. No interest. They mm-hmm. just want you to buy their yeah. products. Look at the vaping industry at the moment. Um, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the yeah. UK, it's just, that the marketing mm-hmm. is, absolutely brilliantly towards children to get them hooked and it's so clever how yeah, it's, it's bright it's colorful yeah it's attractive all of those Sweet things flavor they do mean skittles flavor now and everything and it's just like what oh my god yeah. yeah yeah well and i like to think of i mean and your body is very receptive towards anything that it doesn't like i mean mm. me eating gluten it gets bloated me eating uh dairy gets bloated it's very reactive and i've been very in tune with how foods make me feel. And alcohol is the same way. That's why you experience a headache. You get nauseous. Sometimes you throw up after a night of drinking. That's your body literally saving yourself. It doesn't want that in your system. And so I like to think of my body as a car. And I want to put in and I want to fuel it with things that are going to help it run better, that I can, you know, get to the place that I need to be. And if I use a different kind of fuel, or if I don't do an oil change, it's not going to run as good. Something's going to come off or a check engine light's going to come on. And so things like exercise, my body wants exercise. It also wants fruits. It also wants good quality protein and vegetables. Mm. It wants to get sunlight. It wants to learn all and wants water, like pure water. And all of these things help it run better. And so when it runs better, I feel better. And then I'm more able to be a better mother and help other women and I'll be a better wife when I feel better. And so sobriety isn't just about drinking. It's about really taking care of yourself and all different aspects of your life of how much sleep are you getting? What are the foods you're eating? Are you moving your body? Are you taking care of yourself? Because I deserve to feel good and you deserve to feel good. Not just sometimes, but overall, I want to feel good. Yeah, do you think, you know, because looking at, there are people listening to this, and I've been there, and I I guess you might have been there, where we know we should look after ourselves. We know we could be better. We could listen to our bodies. But what do you think stops people taking that step? Why do we find it so difficult at times, do you think, to look after ourselves? It's too hard. We don't have time. Yeah. And that's what I get. It's just too Mm. hard. I'm never going to get this. But again, that's all a mindset. But I like to also question, it's equally as hard to continue drinking. It's equally as hard to live in a body that you're not, that you don't feel comfortable in. It's equally as hard to be tired and have no energy. So you get to choose which hard you want. 
which path to take. You can choose one that you gets you a better ROI the more that you do it. Or you could choose one that has you feeling lower and lower and lower of the things either you're not doing or the things and the habits that aren't having you feel your best. But you get to decide because it equally it's going to be hard. But one delivers a better outcome the more that you do it. As you feel better, you're going to help other people feel better. And you're going to show up as your best self. But when you decide not, because not doing something is also making a decision. Mm. Thinking that it's too hard, but also question, it's equally as hard the other way. But... I think getting in a community of other people who are doing those can be incredibly motivating, following accounts that are super encouraging and just deciding, you know, there's never going to be a right time to do this stuff. The right time was yesterday and the second right time is today. Yeah, I love that. And choose your heart. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like go sober or continue having your life slowly stolen from you buy alcohol both are hard you know one of them if you take the risk will yield the results that you're looking for and give you some life back um and sometimes it takes it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of strength and it takes you to be a kind of leader you know i realized with my social group it was there was that oh what are people going to think and actually i thought well actually do you know what i'm just going to do it and see what happens and if they want to follow and do something similar or cut down then they've got someone to talk to about it, you know? And I remember my first mm-hmm. holiday with friends skiing and it usually in skiing, it's traditionally, you know, quite a, a, a big drinking holiday. And I said, I oh, mean, my partner, we're not drinking. Isn't every holiday a big yeah, drinking yeah, holiday? Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> uh, and you can associate very, it with everything. Yeah. But in this villa, it was like, they had like unlimited drink, you know, obviously for the things. And my friends are like, oh, great. There's more for us. But what began to happen throughout the week where whereas some of my friends say to me, Do you know, we've never drank so little. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that was an influence of, I'm not doing it. I, I really want to go skiing tomorrow, you know, and I want to get up really early and have a great time. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, I've had to take travel sickness tablets because I was so ill the next morning from drinking. That but so it was ruining why I was on holiday, why what I was getting out of it, the skiing. Whereas my last skiing yeah. trip, it's, you know, I did my best ever skiing, completely sober. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. What, yeah. um, what tips would like you have? Like you said, yeah. oh, no, I was going to say yeah. Yeah. many times, if you're the only person in your group of friends who's deciding to not drink for 30 days or go sober or alcohol free, chances are they're just looking for someone to go first. Mm. And... More often than not, there is someone in your friend group who's also considering the same thing or knows someone who also has been affected by this. Because when they see the changes in you and how you show up, how you have a fun time without alcohol, they also know that it's possible. And sometimes they just haven't seen that. They don't know another way. And so this is an incredible opportunity for you to stand up for yourself and stand up for this choice and to show people that it's possible. Just like I'm also showing my kids right now at seven Mm. and nine, you do not need to have alcohol to live life. You don't need alcohol to watch a baseball game. You do not need alcohol to watch a football game. Mm. You don't need alcohol to go to a party. And so I use my example to hopefully instill in them the to know that there's the opportunity there. I can't control what they're going to do and their choices they make, but at least they know there's two sides and there's two options that they could do. And also the risks involved in doing so. So more often than not, your friends are just waiting for someone to go first and have yourself be that example for other people. I love that. And it's, and that's proving to be the case. A few of my friends have actually come forward and just said, so what are you drinking instead? What are you doing? You know, what's it been like? Um, you mentioned yeah. your kids and I just want to go back to your kids just for a moment because um, mm-hmm. obviously you can't control what they're going to do when they're uh, older, but it is, it's a strange thing, isn't it? That we are saying to a child, 
when you're 18, well, here in the UK, it's 18. How old is it in the States? Is it 21 still? Is it 21? Or- 21. 21, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you're old enough, we're going to give you this carcinogenic, neurotoxic um, depressant, which will uh, make you nauseous, make you sick. Make you, you're going to make terrible decisions on it. You're going to end up in prison. Yeah, you could kill someone whilst under the influence of this drug. It could kill you. And we're going to celebrate you turning of age with this substance. You know, you're going to, you know, excuse my language, people. Yeah, it is. You're going to shit your, you're going to shit your bed. You're going to vomit everywhere. You're going to have all of these experiences and you you know, especially, you know, you're going to put yourself in serious danger. So here's the string. So, you know, and then there's this little advert we have in the UK where it says drink responsibly. So it just is that we promote this as, you know, a, um, you know, a rite of passage for a certain, when you become a certain age and yet, no one would do it with heroin. No one would do it with cocaine. No one would do it with any other type of drug, which uh, it could steal, mm. it steals from people's lives. But yet we're happy because we've been conditioned into doing that for, you know, to promote it towards children. Um, as a question, how would you handle that if your kids decided to explore alcohol? I would accept them. Mm. But I'm also doing the conditioning now when they're young of, again, Mm. learning how to manage their emotions, telling my son, just because your friends are doing it, and this isn't pertaining to Mm. to drugs. I like to just say drugs, not drugs and alcohol. Yeah. You don't have to do it. Just because your friends are doing this, you don't have to do it, Landon. And and just trying to instill those things now. But if they were, and I'm sure they were, they will, I'm not sure, I'm going to be there for them. And I'm not going to judge them. I'm Mm. not going to shame them. I am going to accept them, but I'm also going to make sure they equally know my story with it, that it is genetics partly, and the dangers involved with it, and that you don't have to live life. You don't have to follow what your friends do. And I'm hoping with the work that's being done that they're also going to know that there's both sides with all of the things that are coming out about it, that we are going to see a cultural shift in 10 years, yeah. just the way that we view cigarettes, we're going to have that same view of alcohol. And I think we're, we're well on our way there, but in the meantime, I'm just going to love them with open arms. And I, I just want to keep them talking, but also mm-hmm. doing that, planting those seeds now in the commercials that they take in of talking about it, of the movies that they see of them drinking wine of the kids movies that they see the Disney movies, especially the showing characters drinking wine, yeah. talking about those things. So they, again, know both sides. And with the intention that I'm going to love them no matter what. And I just never want them to think that they can't tell me anything. But I think through our experiences with alcohol, it's going to have such a, such a powerful impact on them of how it affected each one of us that then we can use our experience to also educate them of the dangers and also Mm. what happens, but they're free to do their own thing, but they're also equally uh, right. It's in their right to know both sides and to know the dangers and also the benefits of sobriety of not feeling like you have to do this to change who you are, that you're perfect and you're lovable and you're, you're so much and you do not need an addictive substance or anyone else to tell you otherwise that you need this to become someone else. Because I think the ultimate power is to stay true to who you are and stay present. So that's what I hope to instill in them. Yeah. I love that. And you know, it's, you know, my partner's son, I mean, I, used to, I can tell he's dying to try it. He wants to know what it's like because it looks cool. And we got, um, you know, you talked about Disney movies where they're drinking, you know, we watch films together, a lot of sci-fi action. There's alcohol in every episode, no matter how far in the future mm-hmm. we are there, you know, the movie industry has got its, you know, uh, they would like to promote, obviously, somehow, for some reason, alcohol. Uh, way in the future, no matter what the, what the TV series or film. And it's such a shame that it's still classed as this is what we'll be doing 
way in the future. Um, and something else, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, one of the things that I I think about when it comes to people I know drinking, um, you know, with our parents getting older, we're getting to see the effects of possibly drinking has had on their lives and their retirements mm-hmm. are being ruined. Their retirements where they thought mm-hmm. they would have this beautiful rest. They've worked so hard. And I know I hear the most horrible stories lately of, of people who are discovering, uh, you know, in their fifties and sixties and centers, like they've got cancer, you know, they've got all sorts of other things coming on, which are, which are, which are obviously linked to alcohol, but might not be totally in mm-hmm. their case. But I don't really know, but it, it's, such a, it's such a big factor. So, you know, we have a culture which is pushing us towards working so hard, burning ourselves out to retire and then, then you can suddenly live this magical Disney life. But you'll probably yeah. spend a lot of time in the doctors and the hospitals. As, as someone recently told me, they said, They've never spe- I've never spent so much time in a doctors and hospital in all my life. Um, mm-hmm. And that may have come from their lifestyle choices. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? That we've got a society that pushes people towards that sort of ending of their lives, you know, and I, and I, with friends, I get to see some of them do the most. They're incredibly intelligent. They're working so hard. They're working, they, and they want to have these, these, you know, these final few decades. But in part of me is thinking, I just hope it's not taken away from you. I know that sounds might, might sound quite negative, mm-hmm. but and there's no guarantee for any of us. But it's like they're reducing the risk. They're reducing the chances of it being a wonderful retirement. Yeah. And why it's never too late to turn things around. Mm. It's not too late and you're not too far gone. And why not start to do that repair process today? Mm. Because like you said, I don't want to be living my life suffering from Alzheimer's or uh, not having my body work and move in the way that I want. I want to be full of energy. I want to continue to do activities with my kids and my grandkids. I want to completely love and embrace that retirement life. But I can't do that if I'm not taking care of myself. Mm. And so play the tape forward. How do you want to feel in 60, 70, 80, all of those years? Because what you're doing today is how you're going to live life later on. Because all of those things add up. And so what's one small thing that you can do today to help your brain, to help your body, to take care of it? Like what's the most loving thing that you can do for your body right now or for your mind? Could be go outside for a walk, get some sunshine, drink a Mm. glass of water, read a book, something. We're going to eat a serving of vegetables. Just one small thing or not drink just tonight. Because you want a better brain. Yeah. It's like a little love letter for your, to your future self, isn't it? I read that somewhere recently. Yeah. You know, each little... Because uh, tomorrow's never a guarantee. Yeah. No. It, no, it's... But if we are going to get there, we want to be in the best form possible. We want to have the energy, the vitality. And I've met some amazing entrepreneurs who don't drink and coaches. And, um, you know, they're a lot older than I'm in my 50s. And they're a lot older than I am. And their energy and mindset is phenomenal. Because mm-hmm. they invested in them in their future selves. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that, uh, Jen. It's been or invest amazing. in your tomorrow self. Yes. Yeah. Right. Invest in your future self, but yeah. invest in your tomorrow self. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely love that, Jen. It's been incredible talking to you. Thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah. This has been such a great conversation, and yeah, I've loved it. I hope it gives you just some questions to ask yourself. Mm, about your relationship or how you want to feel tomorrow, how Mm. you want to feel in the future. I think that is such an important question. I don't think enough of us ask. We get lost in short-term dopamine habits, chasing dopamine habits, which distract us from maybe the pain of thinking for tomorrow. Uh, Jen, if people wanted to contact you and have a bit of sobriety coaching, um, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can go to my website. It's joinlighthousesobriety.com. Otherwise, you can follow me on Instagram at Jen Lee Hurst. I like to hang out there. That's where I hang out yeah. most. And so from there and on my webpage. What's yeah, that? Well, 
I, so I found you and I love your content. I, I, when you talked at the beginning about, you know, you showed your uh, pictures of you from um, your wedding day, etc. I, I saw that real. I saw what you were talking about. And um, yeah, your content is gold. So please do check out Jen Hurst's Instagram. I'll put um, on website, the details will be in the show notes. Uh, Jen, thank you very much for joining me for today's episode. Um, and again, it's been an absolute honor. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let me know in the review sections and also share with anyone you know who may benefit from the content we discussed today. Remember, stay awake, stay aware, and have the most incredible day. Thank you.